Kia ora, I'm Emile Donovan, and today on The Detail, the R word. Recession. 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 She. Last week we learned New Zealand's gross domestic product had contracted by 0.2 of a percent in the three months to March. To the surprise of economists... People were expecting much better result than that. They were. We, we were expecting better than that as well. And the despair of the finance minister. We're working very hard alongside both exporters and importers to try to resolve supply chain issues, making sure that where we can, we see ships come into New Zealand more quickly. But a lot of this is driven offshore while China continues its elimination approach to COVID. But how likely is a recession in Aotearoa? What are its causes and impacts? What does it mean for normal people, you and me? What about this scary-sounding stagflation stuff? And are we simply seeing the inevitable downwind effects of a tumultuous period, unprecedented in modern history? Shamubil Jakob is an economist and partner at Sense Partners. What's a recession? There is a technical definition, which is the economy going backwards for six months. Or there's a more practical definition, which is when people get so scared of doing things, they don't hire, they don't invest, and they don't spend. That collective sitting on hands is really what recession is about. When you say people get scared of doing things, you're saying people get scared of spending money? Spending money, hiring, or investing as a business, or investing as an individual, whether it's to expand your house or to build a new house. So all these decisions get slowed down. Because you're scared of what might happen in the short-term future? It's the uncertainty or the fact that your income has fallen or that you have lost your job. So it's a, it's a collection of reasons. But the worry and those real things together lead people to stop doing things. And the economy is really just a collection of you and I going about our daily lives, right? It's the sum total of all of those things. And when we slow down even a little bit and go, well, do I really need that extra cup of coffee? Do I really want to go out and eat that meal? Instead, I'll eat it at home. All those things together add up to us doing less and the economy not growing so much. Giles Beckford is RNZ's business editor. If, for instance, you have a drought, then your agricultural production falls away. That's a negative for the economy. Mm. Uh, If there's a credit crunch, for instance, and you find that consumers uh, have stopped buying and retail spending goes down, that's a negative for the economy. Now, of course, we're seeing elements of that. We're seeing uh, a lot of, of course, shocks from overseas, which are curbing our ability to make stuff. On the services side, closed borders mean that we don't have uh, tourists coming in, and so we've not been getting the tourism receipts. Negatives for the economy, and that's uh, those are just some of the elements that are causing the economy and uh, output and the value of the output to shrink. I see. So because I was going to ask you what normally causes a recession, but you've sort of partially answered the question there, and the big answer really is a whole lot of things. A whole look, it, it's multifarious. I'm just looking back through some of the figures in uh, recent decades. The last prolonged recession that we had in New Zealand was from March 2008 through to June 2009. The country has now endured five consecutive quarters of recession, a first since records began in 1986. And that was largely a reflection of the global financial crisis, the way that we, for instance, the housing market. Uh, started to fall. Inflation pressures did start to rise. 
finance companies uh, were failing. Uh, of course, we had all the overseas influences, uh, the market shocks that came with that. That's the one that we noticed the most. The most recent recession that we've had was, in fact, the COVID recession. New Zealand is officially in its first recession in a decade after the economy contracted a record 12.2% in the three months ended June. And that wasn't a surprise, just given the sheer disruption to economic patterns and behaviour and activity with lockdowns and the like. And everybody were just feeling their way. So there was no surprise that the economy should shrink there. But you'd have to say... We got through that one very quickly. Um, and there was a recession in between those two. At the end of 2010, we had two quarters of negative growth, and it was largely a reflection of drought. You can have recessions of varying types for varying reasons, uh, and they will hit certain parts of the economy or the whole economy in varying degrees. Are there any quote-unquote benefits to a recession or corrections that a recession makes in an economy that are of long-term benefit? There are those academics and economists who will say that at times an overheated economy needs to have uh, a short, sharp shock just to uh, pull things back into more even keel. Uh, one doesn't really know if you want to make a value judgment about whether that's a a useful recession or uh, whether there are some benefits from it. But certainly a slowing of economies when they have got uh, terribly overheated can actually get things back into an even keel reasonably quickly and therefore allow for a more sustainable recovery going ahead. Is the idea there that if there is a recession and it has the effect of a rise in the unemployment rate, then wage inflation slows and people are not spending as much money on goods, so the cost of goods can drop and therefore inflation comes down? Is that is that the, the, the thinking behind it? Those are some of the elements that are there because uh, a lot of the recessions have been demand-driven. In other words, there's been too much demand for what's actually been available, and hence inflation may have gone up. And if you need to pull back, and this is the classic approach, if you need to cool down that demand, then, of course, it has a consequent effect on spending. Uh, It will have a consequent effect on the number of people who are employed. And policymakers, they, they don't dislike some level of unemployment. In fact, they say that some level of unemployment is necessary in the modern, functioning, Western style economy. Well, the economy's shrunk, interest rates are on the rise, house prices down and the cost of living soaring. So is a recession in store? We're in a period of extreme uncertainty and there's a few different sources of it. One is we've got this uh, big increase in the cost of necessities, so food and fuel prices, rents, these are rising really fast. And what that means is there is less left over for us for the discretionary things, you know, the nice things that we like to have in our lives. And so we become more cautious about those discretionary, uh, fun things that we might do with our money. The other thing that's going on is interest rates are rising really quickly. The Reserve Bank is widely expected to raise the benchmark rate to an almost six-year high today as it wages war on inflation. And for many with looming deadlines to refix their home loans, it's a world away from the historic low rates of just a year ago. So if you've got a mortgage or you want a mortgage, all of a sudden things got really hard. So you might be spending more on servicing a mortgage or your decision to buy a house is no longer possible because you can't borrow as much. And there's a whole bunch of international uncertainty, right? Just that fear of 
there is a war going on in Ukraine. The United Nations Secretary-General is warning the Ukraine war is threatening to unleash an unprecedented food crisis which could last months, if not years. We don't know what's going to happen with this rapidly falling stock markets. The NZX Top 50 fell 2.6% or 283 points to a two-year low yesterday. Following fears, the Federal Reserve will tip the US economy into a recession as it tries to tame a decades-high inflation. Emerging signs that house prices are falling in New Zealand. These are all bits of information that create uncertainty and fear in people's minds. We've just seen negative GDP growth for the previous quarter. Does that mean that we are halfway to a recession, as David Seymour has suggested? Well, it's a convenient uh, conclusion to draw, isn't it? And it's sort of any stigma to beat a dogma with. Uh, from the broad from the broad viewpoint, I would say no, because it, it's not unusual for us to have had the odd quarter of negative growth and then to have just rebounded. I think the suggestions are from the economists who sit there and crunch the, the numbers that come in by the week, by the month. They're generally saying that we should have a positive quarter the next three months. So the three months end of June we should have uh, a bit of a rebound. Now, they point to, for instance, that the first three months of the year, we had a change in our traffic light setting. We went from red to orange. Uh, but there's a lot of Omicron-related statistical noise there. There were still disruptions. And although we may not have had lockdowns, we had people self-isolating because they were required to, or people were just nervous and didn't want to go out. And that affects how they spend and how they consume, how businesses are able to operate. It's later on in the year that the headwinds should become or are expected to become more noticeable and have a greater effect on the New Zealand economy. And one of the things we should note is that in the past, many recessions have been demand-based. In other words, too much demand chasing what was available. Now, a lot of the disruption that we've been seeing because of COVID over the past year or so, a couple of years, has been on the supply side of the economy. You know, we can't get the goods. Things like toilet tissue, things like dried fruits, dried apricots, we haven't been able to get the raw materials. Absolutely dire. That's Master Builder's summary of the jib board shortage that's left projects unfinished and some businesses struggling to stay afloat. Those are some of the differences in our current economic outlook. People say those sorts of uh, disruptions, those sorts of pressures may become more pronounced uh, as the year goes on. And, of course, there are just some unknowns that are out there. Uh, and one of the biggest ones at the moment is uh, the Ukraine war. Yeah. And we don't know how long that's going to last, how long that's going to be an influence on fuel prices, high fuel prices, food prices such as corn and the like, wheat, uh, and how that flows through the global economy. You mentioned earlier that we did have a small recession in 2020. Now, in that intervening, what, two years now, I suppose, there hasn't been any tourism in that period either, and yet we haven't seen negative GDP growth. How did we compensate for that huge chunk of the economy that wasn't producing anything? Like, why haven't we seen negative GDP growth in quarters prior to now? Well, there are a variety of factors. One uh, thing is that, of course, the government, through 
billions of dollars into the economy by way of wage subsidies, uh, business support. Since late March, just over 750,000 businesses have claimed $14 billion worth of wage subsidies. Uh, which sustained household incomes. The Reserve Bank cut the official cash rate down to the bare bones. rate by three quarters of a percentage point to 0.25%. It was buying government bonds to ensure that there was liquidity in the economy, in the banking system, uh, and it was also providing cheap money to the banks. Now, of course, we, we, we know, and possibly to our cost, we now know, that a lot of that stimulus, of course, went into the housing market, mm. and hence we have the uh, you know, skyrocketing house prices over the past couple of years. The government and the Reserve Bank, in essence, carried the economy through those tough times immediately after uh, the pandemic hit into the bargain because of the disruptions that were caused. We found that we were able to sell a lot of our goods and you know, we had record trade uh, at that time. Uh, but you know, it was tougher getting imports in. For instance, with lockdowns uh, in New Zealand, we found that our fuel consumption fell quite sharply. Right, So we weren't importing fuel. We couldn't get cars in for quite a while or we could only get a trickle of cars in because firms didn't need them or they only needed a little bit of them. That was how we got through. And the point being is that now we're getting back to some sort of equilibrium, and I use that with a very small e, mm. but now that we're getting back to some sort of balance with a hint of pre-COVID uh, normalcy, of course, a lot of the excesses, a lot of the disruptions, a lot of the extraneous things that occurred in this past couple of years, they're starting now to show through, right? And in, in particular, you know, we're starting to see that ramp up in inflation that a year or so ago, you know, people were still thinking, oh, it's just going to pass, you know, it's only a temporary thing. Well, the policymakers got that one wrong. What does a recession mean for people? Let's put it this way. For the vast majority of New Zealanders, it means nothing other than fear. Most people won't lose their jobs. Most people won't lose their houses. Most people won't lose their businesses. At the margin, there will be some people who will lose their jobs. Some businesses will close. And for those people, of course, it's devastating. But at the aggregate, the winners or the people who are not that affected is the vast majority. Mm. So we got to keep it in context, right? So when we're talking about the economy shrinking, we're not saying it's going to go back by 50%. We're saying it might shrink by 1% or 2% or 3%. So in the scheme of things, it's quite modest. But the big impact for the vast majority of New Zealanders will be that we'll be living in this period of uncertainty and fear. And that psychology has a really big impact. Um, in the next 12 months, I think the way that we will see it play out is we will experience the higher cost of living. That means our disposable income, our discretionary income is actually less. And so we're going to be more careful as a result. We're going to see the headlines of things being uncertain and slowing that will make us more cautious. So it is both a real thing and a psychological thing. I'm speaking to a, a friend of mine who's in the consulting business, and we won't go into what sector necessarily. Right? They were saying consultancy was fantastic last year. Well, how's it looking this year? I said, well, yeah, it's not too bad. I mean... There's always the government needing somebody to help them about some project or other, isn't there? And I said, well, how about your, um, you know, your fees? Because in the consulting industry, you know, it can be a bad move to price yourself too low. Uh, you know, people think if you charge high, then you must deliver the goods. And uh, my mate was saying, well, 
Yeah, we're just being a bit bit steady about that now. Um, you know, last year we might have been charging a couple of hundred dollars an hour, but you know, we're just pulling it back to about a hundred and fifty because we rather have the work um, and the continuity of the work than we necessarily want to reap in the big dollars right now. Um, and that's the sort of thinking that people will do. You might have a good job regardless of where you are, you might think that you have the whip hand because there aren't many of me to go around and so they really need me. But if the firm actually faces the prospect that its revenue is going to go down and it needs to cut its overheads and that could possibly mean people, then you might just temper your wage demands. It's so interesting. I I think (laughs) when you were talking about the, the sort of your, your consultant friend of the year, uh, you're kind of talking about vibe there, really, aren't you? And sort of reading the vibe. And it, an analogy that sprang to mind is, is sort of, in, in this wider discussion as well, is the idea of language. We can all speak. We use complex sentence structures and nouns and adjectives and indefinite articles and so on and so forth. But lots of people do this pretty instinctively without necessarily understanding all of those parts of speech. And we almost function within an economy in a similar kind of way. Lots of people don't really understand the machinations necessarily, but you have an instinctive understanding. I don't, I, I look, I don't think you're wrong, and I'm reminded of uh, the many articles and discussions you'll see about the wisdom of crowds, uh, which is that uh, you don't need to know all the things that make your car turn, uh, right? but you do know when there's something wrong, right? <laughs> right, right. Uh, even if it's just because you glanced at the dial to go, gosh, there's a red light there and it says my oil pressure is down. Now, you don't know why your oil pressure is down, but you go, yeah, not good, not good. And and I think people, they apply that in so many different walks of life, but you know, it just as equally they apply it to their um, judgments about economy, about employment, about financial decisions um, and uh, I think the behavioural aspect, and there are those who take behavioural economics quite seriously, um, you know, it's a factor. Um, it's an interesting one as to, or an interesting question as to whether the policymakers, uh, how much to, uh, to what degree, they t- take that into account when they're setting policies. Mm. Because at times you can just you know, apply your economic formulas um, and the various templates that you've got. I push this lever here and I push that button there and raise that interest rate there and I get the desired effect. That's mechanical. Right. In the end, Emile's decision to perhaps not go for the happy meal this week, uh, but, right, but to actually just buy a can of baked beans because that will make the dollar go further, that's instinctive. Small double cheeseburger combo. <laughs> I, I see your taste is no better than before. <laughs> what are our tools in trying to stave off a recession? Well, a few things. So there are really two big levers that we have when it comes to policy. And one is with the central bank and the other one with the government. So the central bank is a little bit tied at the moment. um, And that's because inflation is very high. The Reserve Bank will not want to cut interest rates in the face of high inflation despite slowing growth. So they're a bit stuck. The other one is government. And government can do two kind of big things. One, it can just try and inflate the overall economy, or it can try and reduce the pain for those who are most affected by a downturn. 
So generally speaking, what we tend to find is government has what we call an automatic stabilizer effect. So when the economy slows, people start losing jobs, more people access welfare and those kinds of things. So that's an automatic stabilizer. Or it can start trying to other things like pump up investment in infrastructure or investment and those kinds of things. So government spending and investment goes up and that creates work for industries and people. Those are the kind of the three broad tools. One is the Reserve Bank. The other one is kind of direct intervention by government in the economy as a whole or direct intervention by the government to help those people who are affected by the downturn. There's another freaky portmanteau bouncing around, Giles, which is stagflation, which sounds a bit like a bachelor party on a bouncy castle. <laughs> <laughs> Look, looking for a nightclub that will yeah. let them in rather than throw them out. <laughs> yeah, um. it, it actually sounds like quite a good time on the outside stagflation, but um, it, it, it is not that. What, what is stagflation, Giles? Well, in a technical sense, I mean, the way I think it's now regarded is it's um, high inflation and slow growth. But um, going back quite some time, in fact, it was more commonly regarded as rising unemployment and high inflation leading to low growth. And the country that's sort of held up as the example of that for quite a period is Japan, which uh, through the 1990s uh, really had virtually nothing. They, they call it the lost decade for Japan because it was an economy that was going nowhere, unable to actually grow uh, to any extent, but was suffering from, from high inflation and its jobless uh, rate was, was rising. So stagflation is high inflation, low growth, rising unemployment. Uh, it's, a, it's a term easily bandied about, and it has been with uh, great abandon uh, in the past two to three months, uh, in particular in the United States. Um, one would say that given New Zealand has 3.2% unemployment and the prospect that it will stay around those levels, certainly through to the end of this year, and possibly well into next year, we probably don't fit all the conditions needed to you know, claim the title of stagflation economy. And I'm not sure that's necessarily one that we'd want to have anyway. Look, the economy is not, is not the end, right? The economy is the means to an end. And that end is that we try and guarantee a standard of living, welfare, for our nation um, and provide the greatest opportunities for all people to fulfill themselves in whatever way they want. That's what the economy's for, right? And we should worry less in the end about whether it's a negative number or a positive number, whether it's two quarters of negative growth, whether the Reserve Bank is uh, chasing 8.7% inflation or just 6% inflation. You know, we should think in the end, what's the end point that we want? And in that way, perhaps people shape the thinking of the policymakers, the people we elect um, to, to make those decisions, as well as shape our own thinking and our own behaviour. So take care, number one. Don't sweat the small stuff and pray that Everson has a good transfer window. Take care of number one, two and three. Mm. You know, the people around you, your neighbours. I mean, in the end, taking care of, of yourself, while it might be personally enriching, is not necessarily fulfilling. Mm. And yes, let's hope Everton has a really good transfer window. <laughs> That's it for today. I'm Emile Donovan. 
The detail is public interest journalism funded through New Zealand On Air and produced by Newsroom for RNZ. You can get us downloaded free to your mobile device every weekday from any podcast platform. And if you're using Apple, please leave us a rating so others can find us too. Today's episode was engineered by William Saunders and produced by Sarah Robson. Bonnie Harrison as our associate producer. And thanks to Giles Beckford and Shamubil Jakob. Matewa. Thank you.